is here. Good morning. Welcome to Florence Christian Church. It is such a great uh, privilege to be able to be here together to worship with you on this Easter morning. Happy Easter to you all, and uh, hopefully the rain will hold off a little bit longer for us this morning. But we come together because of an empty cross and an empty grave. Kind of strange, if, if you think about it, that a group of people would come together because there's nothing there. And yet we're here today as, as friends, maybe longtime friends, maybe new friends, possibly you met someone you've never met uh, this morning, and we come together because of the emptiness of these two spaces. Over the last 20 years, I've worked with teenagers, and as, as we work with teenagers, a lot of what we're doing is helping them to answer questions in one of three areas, or actually all three, about identity, autonomy, and affinity. You see, identity is all about who am I? Students trying to figure out, who am I? I, I mean, what am I going to be about? That's the second one, is autonomy. What am I about? Understand sometimes what my parents have been about, maybe what my friend groups have been about, but as I grow into my own person, what am I going to be about? And then the third question about affinity, which is, where do I belong? Where is it that I belong in this world that's ever-changing and different than any world that any other student has grown up in? And these are all questions that students are asking. But I guess the real question is, when do we move away from those three questions? You see, I've been adulting for a couple of years now. And uh, I suppose at some point in time when you have a, a child in college and a child in high school, you're considered an adult, and so I, I kind of consider myself that. And yet I still find myself saying, who am I? You know, what am I really about and where do I belong? Are these questions that ever completely and fully get answered? We were watching a few months ago this movie, The Greatest Showman. And it came out around Christmas time, and it's the story of a gentleman named Phineas Taylor Barnum, or P.T. Barnum. Now, I'm not going to argue the accuracy of the story, simply the, the, the contents of the film itself. And see, he was orphaned as a child. He didn't have much growing up, kind of fending for himself, and he wanted to create a different life. He had a million dreams of what his life could look like and how he could include others in that, and he sought after that. And, and as he was doing so, he found a group of people that seemed to be asking these same three questions. Who am I? What am I about? Where do I belong? And he reached out as he saw these people. He saw the humanity in them where others didn't. So he reached out to the bearded woman, and he made friends with the tall man, with a tattooed freak, with all kinds of strange people that the world wouldn't accept, and he befriended them and brought them in. P.T. Barnum saw something in them that nobody else had seen, that they had a unique ability to connect with people and to show them something they hadn't seen before. Within the film, some of the lines go like this. P.T. Barnum is talking. He says this, I see in your eyes... You believe that lie, that you need to hide your face, afraid to step outside, so lock your door, 
But don't stay that way. He's recognizing where they're at and how they feel that people wouldn't accept them, that, that they had accepted this lie that they weren't good enough, that they weren't pretty enough, that they weren't normal enough. One of the characters says this, I'm not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say. Because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. But then coming out of that says, but I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there is a place for us because we are glorious. See, I think this movie has made such a connection over the last four months with people because it speaks to our human condition. At some level, don't we all feel this way? I mean, empty, with not much to offer somebody else, let alone to offer the whole world. Awkward, not completely sure of ourselves, the things that we've done, our past, and how it can rectify with a positive future. See, while I've worked with students for 20 years and here for the last 15, I've only been in this role for about a month. In case we haven't met, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And to be quite honest with you, sitting, preparing for Easter morning, I thought to myself, what do I want to say? What do I want to say? What would I like to say to a group of people here on Easter morning? I, I got nothing. Then a better question comes to me, and it's this. All right, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to say to a group of people who, for whatever reason you're here, and I know that there are many, whatever your reason that you're here, God, what would you want to say to them? You see, I just felt empty in and of myself. What do I have to offer? And the answer is not that much. I'm empty. I'm also a little bit awkward. I'm an introvert, and let me tell you what that means in case you don't quite understand. It means that I like you. I like you a lot. I just don't always know how to interact with you. You know, sometimes I sit down, and I've talked with Mike about this. It's easy for others to go to a basketball game or out to, to eat and to coffee and to, to strike up conversations about this and that and the other for hours on end. And I'm like, hey, how are you? How's your wife? Yeah, it looks like it's going to rain. And then I'm like... Gosh, I got nothing else. I've read books on this, like how to have a conversation with people. It just doesn't come natural to me. I'm a bit awkward in that. But it doesn't mean that I don't like you. It doesn't mean that I'm not trying. It's just how I'm wired. Maybe you felt awkward in similar ways. Maybe when you wave, actually you see somebody wave at you and then you wave back only to realize they're waving at that person. Oh, <clears throat> them. Okay, my bad. Or, or when you send that text only to realize it was to the wrong person. If you've, I've done that. I've done both of these. When you turn around and bump into somebody and apologize, oh, I'm sorry, and find out it's a mannequin or a post. <laughs> then you're looking around like, did anybody hear me? Did anybody notice that? I hope not. Maybe at the movies when the ticket salesman says, hey, great, enjoy the show. And you say, you too. They're like, I'm at work. I'm, I'm not going into the movie. So I worked at a theater. That happens a lot. Or fearing at a party the person that you just came up to and put your arm around is not in fact your spouse. 
we have these awkward moments. And as we get into scripture today, we meet a group, a group of 11 disciples who are, are waiting and, and, and waiting to see what's going to happen next. We followed the text from the video and to see that Jesus visited them time and uh, time again to different people, even group of 500. And we pick up with this group of 11 who is empty and awkward. They're not quite sure what to do with themselves at this point in time. Think of what they've been through in just the last week. The triumphal entry coming into Jerusalem with people praising their king and their savior only to have him betrayed, arrested, unfairly tried, killed on a cross, and then put in a, stra- in a, in a, in a grave that was not his own. Now, Three days later to have him rise again and have him appear to them over a couple of instances. And so I want us to jump into the book of John. While you're turning there, I'm going to take a drink of water. You can turn there or flip there in your phone. John chapter 21. As you're doing that, I do want to read out of 1 Corinthians, which continues to set this scene. says, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to five, more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive today. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So in the days and and weeks that preceded Easter morning when the grave was empty, these are some of the things that had taken place and we find ourselves meeting the disciples in chapter 21 and I want to pick it up in verse 1. says this, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. So many of these gentlemen are fishermen by trade and so they're out. We're not quite sure. Maybe they had nervous energy as they're waiting for Jesus and what he was going to tell them to do next. Maybe they had to pay the rent back at home. We don't know, but they go fishing. Peter's like, I'm out, I'm going. And a bunch of them said, we're going to join you. But as they fish all night long, these pros at what they do, they come up empty with nothing. These guys know what they're doing, and yet an entire night of fishing, they can't catch a thing. And then there's a gentleman on the shore. They can't quite see him, about a hundred yards off. We don't know if it was foggy, if they just didn't quite recognize who it was. And yet he says, have you caught anything? Talk about insult to injury. No, we haven't caught anything. 
And he says, cast your net on the other side, and these guys have nothing to lose. And I can only imagine it was at this point in time, as they started to haul in the fish, that some of them started to have a flashback. You see, in the very beginning, when Jesus was calling his disciples, before these guys had decided to follow him, he has a similar situation. The disciples have been out, and they're mending their nets And Jesus comes up to them and starts talking and and a crowd is following and they want him to teach to them. And so he gets in one of the boats and says, cast out a little bit. Jesus knew how to speak to a crowd. The natural amphitheater that would have taken place as he was on the water and the people were up on the hillside, his voice would have echoed off of that water. And, And he comes and he teaches them and this is what happens. Chapter five, verse four. Of the book of Luke. He says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They singled, they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were the partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything they had and followed him. Amazing that Jesus would pick this moment when they're out fishing again, having caught nothing. And this is what you're going to go to sleep tonight thinking is, were they just really bad at their job? Or did God make them catch nothing all night? I don't know, just to set the scene, but he's there and he comes and he says, cast on the other side. And they brought in the nets and these guys are having a flashback of the very first moments they, they decided to follow Jesus. And again in verse 6, it says, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Oh, Peter, I like him. (laughs) The other disciples came in the boat and dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land at about a hundred yards off. So John recognized it, this flashback moment. He knew who it was, and Peter, upon hearing it in true Peter fashion, just throws himself in. He throws himself in and goes chasing after Jesus. The same Peter. The same Peter who would correct Jesus time and time again. Not a good plan. The same Jesus, or the same Peter who would have jumped in the water before and actually walked on that water. The same Peter who only a week or so earlier had sliced a guy's ear off defending Jesus. He was brash and he jumps out chasing after Jesus. And John tells a true fisherman's tale. There was 153 fish. They were huge. You should have been there. You should have seen it. And he's telling this tale of what happened. And as they got onto land, they got out onto land and they saw charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. 
And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So now they are by the fire sitting there. And and do you kind of notice what's happening? When they get on shore, they notice charcoal and what's already on the grill. Jesus is already barbecuing fish. See, these professionals had no luck all night, but Jesus had already had his catch. And then he went over and helped them catch some too. And then what does Jesus do in true Jesus style? He serves them again. Jesus serving his disciples, the resurrected Christ, no longer necessarily just the example living life before death, but he's conquered death and he's still serving them. And as they begin to talk and converse, now I feel like there's another flashback. You see, Peter, as he sat and talked with Jesus, and as Jesus glanced over, made eye contact with him, with his his smile and his calming voice, I'm sure Peter had to go back too. To just a few days earlier, you see, at the Last Supper, the last time they were eating together, Jesus said, you're going to betray me tonight three times. Peter said, I would never do that. I would be willing to die for you, Jesus. Jesus said, even so, before the rooster crows. And in fact, that is what happened. He denied Jesus two times and on the third time said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never even met the man. And at that moment, Jesus looked across and Peter and Jesus made eye contact. Can you imagine the awkward moment now? The crowds are stripped away. Peter is sitting across the campfire eating fish, being served by the risen Christ. And Peter just can't get this feeling off of his chest about how he had betrayed this man. Three times he had betrayed him. And I can imagine Peter holding on to this guilt, looking again and saying, I know he loves me. I know he forgives me. And yet I just can't shake this feeling that I have deep inside. Verse 15 says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Then feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus has to know what's going on in Peter right now. This understanding that he had denied him. He can feel the awkwardness and the the tension between them. And so he's meeting Peter right where Peter is at. And in verse 17, it says, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
See, G- Peter in this flashback of three different moments denying him. And Jesus knows this. He knows what Peter needs, and he needs these three different moments to feel forgiven. And do you notice that Jesus doesn't say in return, I love you too? See, Jesus has moved past the point of words. The previous three years were about words and teaching, and he had done many miracles as well. But Jesus is to the point of action now. He has already conquered death. He's already come out of the grave. And Jesus says this. He says, I want you to feed my sheep, to take care of my lands, to be a part of building my church. Jesus could have simply said, I love you. But what communicates love better than entrusting somebody? When we moved here 15 years ago, our daughter was 10 months old. She was just up leading guitar a few minutes ago. But the nursery was outside in a separate building, and I remember on the first Sunday how awkward it felt here in this strange place with a bunch of strange people. And then I had my 10-month-old child that they expected me to take out into a different building and leave there, leave them, and come in here. And I was like, are you crazy? I mean, it's a whole different building. We had no way of, of connecting and, and, and this thought of doing that. How can I entrust my child to strangers? And yet, we learned to trust over time. And then we made a lot of changes. So the nursery's in here with us. But Jesus is saying this. I could say I love you. But how much more to hand over to you, Peter, the most precious thing that I have, which is my church, and the future of how this love is going to be spread in the world. And he said, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. And he entrusted Peter, which is exactly what he needed in this time. And then he says this, verse 19, he says this, and after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Follow me. I'm leaving you, but I want you to follow me. I'll be gone, but I will never have been more present than I will be when I go. Follow me. He was saying, Peter, you think you've seen some stuff over the last three years of people being healed and, and people walking that were dead? Well, you haven't seen anything yet, Peter. Follow me. And so Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and he's saying, I'm going to send someone to you, a helper, the Holy Spirit that will walk with you always and you'll continue to be able to follow me. Follow me because the journey is going to be amazing. See, in this moment, Peter had these three questions of who am I? What am I about? And where do I belong answered in one place. And I think the empty cross and the empty grave answer the same for us. Who am I? Well, I know that you have been invited to be a child of God, a citizen of heaven. If you've ever felt that this world isn't quite right, you're right. Because your citizenship is of another place and we're just here for a time. Who are you? You are the adopted child of God. What are you about? Well, you're invited to be about a mission that's much bigger than yourself, a mission to change the whole world or at least change your world, to show love in your workplace, to show love in your homes with a supernatural power that you don't have in and of yourself. And where do you belong? Well, quite frankly, I think you belong right here. 
You see, Jesus entrusted the church to Peter and the disciples. He was handing over his baby to them, saying, I'm going to be with you, but you are going to be stewards of it because this is the answer to the world's needs. The church is going to take my message of love out onto to every continent, to every group of people, and I want you to be a part of it. And that's what I think is the truth about you. For some of you, it's right here at Florence Christian Church. Some of you live in different places, and yet the church is where you belong with a group of people that don't have a whole lot to offer in and of ourselves, who are awkward at times, and yet who all fall into the love of Jesus. So if you come today empty, feeling like you have nothing to offer, good. It's a good place to be. You see, the nets were empty so that Jesus could fill them with the abundance of what he had. So if you feel like you don't have a lot, it's fine. Maybe if you come today, though, thinking you know exactly what you're about and filled, maybe, just maybe, you're a little full of yourself. And maybe you need to clear some room for Jesus to come in and say, but I have so much more for you than you would have put in your own life. Maybe you come awkward, filled with guilt and shame of decisions from your past. Maybe it was a single moment in time a decade ago. Maybe it was a series of decisions last month, I don't know. But you come and you sit here this morning feeling awkward. When you woke up this morning, you sat on your couch and said to yourself, am I really going to walk through the doors of a church today? They may fall in on me. They don't know. Those people don't know the things that I've done, the places I've been. They don't understand If that awkwardness you feel right now as though there's something between you and God, something holding you back, I've got to tell you that your awkwardness, your shame, just like Peter, may be holding you back from accepting God, but it's not holding God back from accepting you. I don't know. Your own flashbacks as you sit here this morning, maybe they're great ones of growing up, going to vacation Bible school, or sitting next to your grandma singing hymns, or or maybe they're the other like Peter had of those moments in time. And I tell you, those moments don't define you. In Psalm 103, it says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know this, if you travel on this globe north far enough, you'll eventually go south. If you travel south long enough, you'll eventually go north. But if you start traveling east, you will always be going east. East and west never meet. And that's what God is saying. I have taken, when you accept me, your sin so far away from you as the east is from the west. I have forgotten about it. Why don't you? And this Easter morning, I hope that you'll accept that. If you haven't before, don't go another day with this awkwardness, with this emptiness in your life because he wants to fill it. He wants to remove it as far as the east is from the west. We're going to jump back just a bit to chapter 20. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love. God, I thank you for an empty cross and an empty grave. God, that you have proven your might even over death. God, and that you have brought this group of people together to get a glimpse as to what you've created us for. God created us to be in a relationship with you, created us to be connected to one another. God, I thank you that you have done all the work. We just need to bring ourselves to you. God, and accept your love. God, I thank you for being at work in us today. Amen.